we're back with more of the Popon film. Act three, money. Act three. Act three. <laughs> yes, money, my friend. It is time once again for the Popon film podcast to gradually stroll on into the third and final act of the show. And for the uninitiated out there in the ether, the third act of the Popon film podcast is wherein we finally innovate discuss our platinum exclusive executive style high class and available only through this limited time offer movie of the week and this week we try to postpone christmas for one more week or two with a look at the little scene 1994 comedy known as tammy and the t-rex Funny. Yes. Funny. Yes. Question. How Tammy is the name of the chick who marries bird person? Yes, Tammy is the name of the, of the of the and, and then the and then it's confusing because it, the credits have her listed as Tanny. But it's no that fucked me up. Okay, I'm glad you said it because I was starting to think I was nuts, but I was like, no, Jeannie saw it too. It said Tanny. T-A-N-N-Y? Opening credits have a different name than the name of the movie. Yeah. It's like it's like when you're watching Mystery Science Theater 3000 and the credits say Attack of VVI Creatures. Yeah. Or at the end of the brain that wouldn't die when it's when it's the movies listed as the head that wouldn't die. But see now the thing is is when I saw it come up, uh I was just like, well, I I guess I must have just been mishearing mishearing you. I thought you said Tammy. It was nope. Tanny. Okay. No, so like I didn't think anything of it. But when I went to search for the trailer on YouTube, I put in Tanny and the T-Rex now that I know that that's the real name. Couldn't find a fucking thing until I, I put in Tammy. I think one of the reasons why that happened is because he made the movie and then for whatever reason in Italy they said you know what this could be a family film we're going to take out all the dirty stuff and release it as a family movie uh-huh. and I think that when they did that they may have changed the credits but then it, a couple of years ago they got the movie and added the dirty stuff back in it, but maybe they didn't change the credits that were changed in Italy. Yes. That's the only way that I can uh, try and make sense of, of that weird thing in the opening. But, Bunny, here's the, here's the opening question for you, okay? How the F would you classify this film? Let's say you work at a video store. Let's say you yes. work at a store, or let's say you're the guy in charge of writing the the descriptions of movies that are going to go on Netflix. Where where would I file it? I think is what you're yeah. saying. Yeah. Okay. 
Because that's a difficult question because it's it, parts of it feel like a family friendly comedy. Then yeah. it's ridiculously fucking gory. And then sometimes it wants to be a sex comedy, but with no sex. And it's just it's so confusing trying to figure out how to classify this movie. Okay, I would put it somewhere in the ballpark of killer clowns from outer space. So a horror comedy. Yes. Okay, okay. And it had gore. It was just significantly better than this. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So, Bunny. Yeah. The story of the making of this film. Frank and Hooker on the other side. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, the story of the making of the film is really simple. A guy had an animatronic T Rex for a few weeks. And before he had to send it to a theme park, he called his movie making friend and said, Can you do something with this? And the guy threw together a film that's very Ed Woodian. Yes. You know, reminds me of uh, like, uh, Hey, we've got a motorized octopus that doesn't move. Mm hmm. I can make something with this. It's got that same sort of spirit. So the guy threw together a, a a movie, and that's a good story. And I feel that most podcasts would just focus on that. But I went deeper. I went yes. deeper looking into the history of this film. And um, uh, when I picked the film, I had no idea that I knew who the director was. Of Tammy and the T-Rex. Yes. Um, and and so I looked, I, I was I when you look into the director's life and his career, yeah. this movie makes perfect sense. Yes. If you just sit down and watch the film, you you might be confused. But when you take this deep dive into the director's life and career. This movie makes 100% sense. I understand this movie now. I 100% understand every aspect of this film. So I want to talk about the director of Tammy and the T-Rex, okay? Okay. He's a guy named Stuart Raphael. R-A-F-F-I-L-L. And in the world of uh, bad movies, that name holds a lot of weight. Okay? Yes. So just get ready, Bunny. Okay? Yes. This is a mini shap because I love this man. Okay. So Stuart Raphael, he was born in England, but he moved to the U.S. at age 18. He wanted to break into movies. How does he do that? Well, Stuart Raphael always liked animals and exotic animals, so he started working in Hollywood as an animal supervisor for movies. Okay, so he's working in like the 50s and the early 60s as an animal supervisor, animal trainer. He's really good with animals, and uh, he's a... supervising animals for movies and TV shows. And eventually he starts his own company. He's got a ton of exotic animals and he rents them out, train tigers, lions, and monkeys 
for Hollywood, this is his big break. He's renting out these animals for movies. The way that I see it in my head, he's sort of a reverse Joe Exotic. Okay. Stuart Raphael is like Joe Exotic if he just didn't do meth. Okay. You know, he's like, hey, I'm really good with animals. I've got these exotic animals. I'm going to train them. I'm going to rent them out for movies. And Disney's like, hey, we're the Disney Corporation and it's the 60s and we're making some weird ass shit right now. Annette yeah. Funicello's Monkey's Uncle and like all of these like uh, like uh, movies for the wonderful world of Disney, you know, where Dan Haggerty's out befriending a freaking bear and stuff like that, you know? Yeah. So... So in the 60s, he's giving monkeys and tigers to Disney. He, 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 uh, he supplied all the animals for Disney's Tarzan movie in the 60s. And then they turned it into a TV show. And he did all the animals for the Disney Tarzan TV show. And silly Disney comedies like 1967's Monkeys Go Home. Yeah, that was all. Yeah. That was all him. He supplied the monkeys. Okay. So he was good with animals. And uh, he, he, the first time that he tasted fame is he's supplying all the animals for Disney's Tarzan TV show. One of the monkeys goes nuts and attacks their Tarzan. And, Tar yes. and the Tarzan guy sues Stuart Rayfield. That was him. He got sued. And Stuart Rayfield's like, oh, man, I'm getting sued by Tarzan. This is so embarrassing. On the other hand... Everyone is America is talking about me and my monkeys. <laughs> like Stuart Rafael's name is suddenly in every newspaper in America, right? So he was so good with animals that in 1971, he makes a movie. He's like, okay, I've been in Hollywood for like a decade. It's time for me to make movies. He saves up a ton of money, a shit ton of money, and he writes, produces, and directs a movie. 1971, Dan Haggerty family drama called The Tender Warrior. Okay. I have no idea what this is, but he wrote, produced, and directed it. It was Seward Raphael's baby, right? Okay. Okay. Um, saved up a ton of money. He made the film himself. He sold it to Warner Brothers. He's like, I wrote and produced and directed this film. And here, I will sell it to you. And Warner Brothers goes, okay, here's some money. Uh, guess we'll release it sometime. Uh, maybe uh, the, B, the B film in a double feature, some other crappy kids film. Maybe do a little bit of advertising. I don't know. We're going to have to add like crazy, make it shorter. And Stuart Rafiel is just there, just going. Rrr, rrr, rrr. Okay, look, this is my baby. And you know what? Fuck it. I've got some money left over. I'm buying my movie back. He okay. sold movie to Warner Brothers, didn't like how they treated it, and fucking bought it back from them. Okay. You gotta... You, you gotta respect the balls on that, you know? Yeah. That, like, he cared about his first movie so much that, like, no, if you're not gonna treat it right, fuck you! He bought the rights back from Warner Brothers, released it himself, made a decent amount of money. Yeah. Good. Like, already right there, already, haven't even gotten to the big movies, 
already, I really like this Stuart Rafael guy. Yeah. This is already a good story. Okay, so um, his new career as a director takes off, and he's known for making you make good family movies, you make good uh, family adventures, you make good adventures, and another thing, you make them cheap. And when you're a director that can work on the cheap for some uh, well-rounded family-type films, you get a lot of work. So he starts to wreck. He starts getting hired to be a director, and he's directing all of these movies. And uh, he's a lot of them involve kids and animals, and he's he's making a good life for himself, making these like throughout all of 1970. If you saw some film where some kid is in the wilderness or some family is lost in the woods, there's a and there's like a tiger or a bear or whatever in it. There's a good yeah. chance this guy wrote and directed that movie. That was the type of films he was doing. Okay, okay. so. In 1984, he made his departure film. I can't believe it's this guy. But in 1984, he directs and helps write, of all films, he did the Philadelphia Experiment. Really? Yeah, the guy who directed the Philadelphia Experiment also did Tammy and the T-Rex. That's huge! That's a fun movie. Yeah, uh, a great movie. John Carpenter. Fun. John Carpenter was like, "Hey, we should do a. Has anyone did a horror movie about the Philadelphia Experiment? No. Okay, I'll write the film. Okay, so here's Act One. There you go. Okay, so here's Act Two. And what do I do for Act Three? I know the people in the boat can get revenge. Oh shit! This is just the fog. I already did this movie. <laughs> just the fog. Oh fuck. Okay, somebody else do this. And they said, well, we'll do it. We need to do it cheap and quickly. You know what? Stuart Rafiel. So they give him a call. And yeah, he did the Philadelphia experiment with freaking Nancy Alice. Yeah. Yeah. And then in that same year, because like I saw the Philadelphia experiment once or twice. But this next one is bigger for me in my mind. And this could be a shap in its own right. But... In 1984, he did two movies. He did The Philadelphia Experiment. And he also did, of all the films, again, he did The Ice Pirates. Okay. Oh, man, the story of the making of that freaking film could easily be a shat. But long story short, uh, Star Wars was real popular. Uh what Return of the Jedi came out in 83. So uh, this was that period in time. All of these Star Wars copycats are coming out. And uh, uh, the studio, the studio was like, oh, we have this film, Ice Pirates, big budget. We're talking $30 million. We've got some great actors lined up for it, some really great names. And this is going to be a science fiction epic and people are going to love it. But um, the studio was suddenly in dire financial straits. One guy was ripping off the company. Another person came in and he made the company worse. And there was like a slap or a fist fight. But anyway, uh, suddenly this new CEO of the studio comes in and he's like, we are so we are running out of money so bad that here's the new rule. Every film from here on out 
cannot go over $8 million. Yeah. And so the studio was all like, oh shit, the Ice Pirates was going to be like this $3 million epic. Now we need someone to suddenly turn this big budget sci-fi film into a low budget sci-fi film. Maybe yeah. make it a comedy. That'll that'll make sense with the low budget. Okay, who can we get to quickly turn this big budget science fiction epic into a low budget science fiction comedy? Stuart Raffel. Yeah. So I was seven when that movie came out and I couldn't, I saw it like twice when I was seven. Other than that, I've seen it a couple of times on TV, but like, I couldn't tell you what the movie was about. I just remember that when I was seven, I thought it was the coolest fucking shit. Really? Yeah. When I was seven, I just thought, oh, man, Ice Pirates are so, so cool. And they're in the spaceship, and they're going to, like, cut off their ding-dong. And, oh, no, now they're escaping. Oh, man, this is so fun. I thought it was like a like Star Wars, but if they made it lighthearted and cheap. Yeah. When I was a kid, I loved Ice Pirates. And one of these days, I want to go back, and I might soon because Stuart Raphael. This yeah. is an amazing career. We haven't even gotten to the best part yet. We're almost there. Well, okay, okay. Well, just to stay on Ice Pirates for a second longer. Yeah. Like, like I have Ice Pirates. Mm-hmm. But I don't think I, I, and literally, I don't know if I ever actually sat down and watched Ice Pirates. I think yeah. there were times when it, when it was on in the background of my life. On HBO when it first like came yes, out, when it, yeah, yeah, like nineteen. I remember like nineteen eighty six, nineteen eighty seven. Like yeah, Robert Ulrich was always on like HBO or UHF, you know. Yeah. And then and then I I, I haven't like really watched it since then. And then when Jeannie had had mentioned that she liked it and she watched it a couple of times, I was like, you know, I should really give it another look. Okay? Yeah. And I put it on and I started watching it. And it was like, what, who? Robert Urich? Robert Urich. Okay. But then, but then like... He was capable enough of an actor. But but the thing that I love about the film is that like the small parts are like shit, Angelica Houston, fucking Ron Perlman, Bruce Valanche, John Carradine, like like yeah. it's impressive. I right, ex exactly. And when I started seeing these people, I turned it off and I was like, Okay, I gotta watch Ice Pirates again and really give it its due. <laughs> To give it a fair judgment, because I, I fucking saw Ron Perlman, and I was like, <laughs> I was not expecting that, yeah. you know. Ron Perlman makes makes it command more attention. David Carradine makes it demand more attention. You know what I mean? Yeah. Look, I'm always to get all this stuff. And then, like, the character of Killjoy, who keeps appearing over and over again. I think he's the guy who, like, is pretending to be a monk, 
just so he can not get his like privates cut off when he's a slave. That guy was a defensive lineman for like the the NFL, and he was like this big, massive, imposing guy. But for whatever reason, Hollywood said he could be the next Joe Namath that we put in movies. Okay. Putting him in a bunch of movies, so it's like all of these serious actors, like like Robert Urich and Angelica Houston, and some football guy. Yeah, and it's like I couldn't tell you who he was, but I knew that in when I was seven years old, I knew who the guy was. I was like, "Hey, that's that football player." Yeah, yeah, that was like a draw that I remember when I was a kid. Well, the big one was Joe Namath. Yeah, yeah. you know. Joe Namath, who Joe Namath, who was basically discount Burt Reynolds. He was he was Dollar Tree Burt Reynolds. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. When you watched uh, when you watched a Joe Namath movie, like see something or other, or what? I, I don't know. There were a couple of them. It's the same kind of movie. Yeah. You would put these two together on the video bookshelf. Yeah. Yeah. A Burt Reynolds, mm, Smokey and the Bandit something. Yeah, I just got the Cannonball Run. Yeah. I haven't seen that in forever, but it's... Yeah. And you would put the Joe Namath movies right next to those. Yeah. You know how, like, yeah. someone... So yeah, so that I makes sense. Okay, so, Bunny. Yes. So, Stuart Raphael, um, Philadelphia Experiment, Ice Pirates. Okay. In 1988, he made his award-winning film. Okay? Yeah. Award-winning. Award-winning. Okay. He returned to his roots... His family-friendly film roots with an award-winning film, which we have talked about on the podcast before a couple of times. I am talking about a little movie called Mac and Me. Oh! When I say it's award-winning, he did win the Razzie for Worst Director. Oh! He did Mac and Me because McDonald's said, hey, we want to make a movie. And they're like, okay, what is it? What, what do you want it to be about? And McDonald's was like, I don't care, but it, it, we want to make a movie so that people see it. And then afterwards, they go and, and, and buy McDonald's. I don't know. E.T. was popular. Let's do another E.T. Who can we get to make a cheap E.T. ripoff for McDonald's? Stuart Raphael. I mean, this is 100% a Stuart Raphael movie. Let's get yeah. Stuart Raphael. He did Mac and Me! And doesn't it sort of kind of make sense now that the person who did Mac and Me would also make Tammy and the T-Rex? Yes. Right? I love I this. So. It makes so much sense. But to be fair... Personally, personally, when it comes to this movie... Directorially, I'm willing to give him a pass. I have too many other people to blame. 
And also and blame them when it I comes will. to Sammy and the T-Rex. Yes. Another thing that I give him credit for is that another Ed Woodian aspect of Tammy and the T-Rex is that he said, okay, we need to make this in just a small amount of time because we only have the animatronic T-Rex for a small amount of time. And so every location that he did for this movie is within 30 minutes from his own home. Yeah. And that's such an Ed Wood thing. And you have all of these weird character actors through the entire movie because, like, he spent decades in Hollywood. He can get Buck Flowers for a weekend. Buck fucking Flowers. That is in my goddamn notes. Any film with Buck Flowers, like, you know, gets gets some points, you know? Yeah. Buck Flowers. So now how many... Pope on film movies has Buck Flowers. Should he go into a Pope Hall of Fame or something? Maybe. My favorite, like a lot of people, when they when they mention Buck Flowers, I, I will say that when I saw Back to the Future with Amber in theaters, the the last night of the Hornbeck, like yeah. like uh, when Marty finally went back to the future. And you see the 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 bench and the homeless guy there. I just yeah. excitedly lean towards her. That's Buck Flowers, legendary character actor. That's Buck Flowers. You know, I was so excited to like point out Buck Flowers. He also appears in the second one. So and it's like, so funny because like like you get certain character actors who tend to like specialize. Yeah, you know, like um, the guy from the Ghostbusters, the EPA guy. I forget yes. what his fucking name is. Yes. Specialized in being a comedic asshole. Yeah, yeah. He was the same character in Real Genius. He was the same fucking character in Die Hard. Just tying it all together, we could also be talking about Fred Willard. Yes. Very good as like the he 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 was the authority figure so much. Yeah. Yeah. Fucking Fred Willard. But Buck Flowers specialized in being a dirtbag. Yeah. Yeah. So I saw the Buck Flowers. And that's where I like him the best. I saw that Buck Flowers was in the movie, so I'm like, okay, let me look for Buck Flowers. Where's Buck Flowers? Where's Buck Flowers? There's a drunk uncle in yeah. my head. I'm imagining that that's Buck, Buck Flowers because he's always the drunk, but that's not Buck Flowers. Where's Buck Flowers in this movie? And the first time I watched it, I said, Steve, calm down. When Buck Flowers shows up, you'll know it. Yeah. So, so, so let me explain something. Okay. So when it comes to the police, okay. So first off, the boss is Sheriff Black. Get it? Because he's a black guy. Wow. Way to still be topical, South Park. So the sheriff is Sheriff Black. And then there's three other uh, police officers. There's Buck Flowers. He's the one who is uh, dealing with like dead, bloody corpses while also eating. Yeah. And I like all of that. You should come hunting with us, uh, Sergeant Black. 
I swear the other two guys were bit players from Dukes of Hazard. They could pass for it. Yeah. But I, I never watched the Duke of Hazard, was so I wouldn't know. I'm pretty sure that at least one of them was actually in Dukes of Hazard as a cop. And so, you know, George Raphael has been on, you know, in TV and movies since the 60s, and he can get people for a weekend. Yeah. I'm pretty sure two of those guys, at least one of the two, was in uh, Dukes of Hazard. Pretty sure. Okay. But but here's why I wanted to do the deep dive on Stuart Rafiel and his career, because a lot of people, a lot of other podcasts would go, oh, uh, it, it shouldn't surprise you to say that the person who made Tammy and the T-Rex also made Mac and me. Yeah, but he also did fucking Philadelphia Experiment. He did yeah. so much. And Mac and me didn't destroy his career because a few years later, he directed Mannequin 2 on the move. Oh, Yay. And that's another piece of the puzzle because Mannequin starred uh the older the older woman from Sex in the City. Yes, Kim Cattrall. And that guy uh who was a part of the Brat Pack. Um Andrew McCarthy. Andrew, Andrew McCarthy. And then uh so when they went to make Mannequin 2, it's like uh Kim Cattrall didn't want to be in it, Matthew McCarthy didn't want to be in it. And so how do you make Mannequin 2 without your two leads? So he got a different mannequin, and the star was Meshack Taylor, the gay comedic relief from Mannequin. Okay. And that's a piece of the puzzle because I him? love the gay black guy in this week's movie. Yes. Was and that basically, I didn't put that together. It's been a long time since I've seen Mannequin. But basically, in Tammy and the T-Rex, the gay black teen is doing a mannequin. Yes. I imagine he tried to get Meshack Taylor for Tammy and the T-Rex and he was busy or just didn't want to do it. So he just got some other black teen. You got a black teen to do it. And it's like, yeah. okay, we'll rewrite it. We'll make him a high schooler. I don't know. But but he's definitely doing a Meshack Taylor in this. Yes. And here's, here's really shocking. point it out. Yeah, yeah. But here's another shocking thing. The year after Mannequin 2 on the move, Seward Rafiel wrote the Wesley Snipes action film Passenger 57. Always yeah. been on black. Stuart Rafiel wrote that. That movie was the number one movie in America. It catapulted Wesley Snipes to like a huge box office draw. That was fucking Stuart Rafiel. Stuart Rafiel is still alive. He still makes movies. What a goddamn career. Yes. You know, and when you just watch, I watched Tammy and the T Rex and I'm like, what is this? Is this a comedy? Is this a horror film? Is this a sex film? Is this a family-friendly movie? I'm so confused. And then I watched it a second time, and I was still so confused. And I'm like, who made this movie? And once I saw who made this movie and his career, I'm like, oh, shit, Tammy and the T-Rex makes absolute sense now. You know? Yes. Yes. And if you if you... What if you took the exact same movie and we kept him and recast this movie? 
Like this movie has potential. And I think I I I saw some elements that that excuse <coughs> Crosby. <coughs> I I saw some uh, I saw some problem spots. First that off, really just, hindered this movie. I just want to say like Denise a Richards fucking boat anchor. I just want to say that Denise Richards should get an Oscar for the touching scene where she realizes that her boyfriend's brain is in the robotic T-Rex and starts crying. She should get an Oscar, not for acting, just 